8,400 people in California are right now being monitored for the coronavirus. The lead starts right now. Coronavirus continuing to infect the population and the markets despite President Trump's attempt to calm the nation with perhaps overly optimistic assessments, putting Mike Pence in charge, and frankly adding more confusion by contradicting his own medical experts. No clue where it came from. The CDC confirms the first confirmed case of coronavirus in the U.S. with no links to foreign travel or direct contact with patients as nations are closing borders and shutting down schools to try to contain the global outbreak. Plus, Senator Bernie Sanders riding into South Carolina with a wave of delegates and energy. So why does President Obama's former enforcer say Sanders is too big a risk for his party? I'll ask Rahm Emanuel live. This is CNN Breaking News. Breaking news in our money lead, the Dow, tumbling more than a thousand points today as the world economy reacts to the growing coronavirus outbreak. The Dow and S&P now on track for the worst week since the 2008 financial crisis, falling sharply all week. The Dow dropping 10 percent below its most recent peak, putting it into correction territory. CNN's Allison Kosick joins me now live from the Stock Exchange. Allison, talk us through just how significant this is. Well, clearly, this is super significant, you know, jaw dropping to see the Dow fall over 1,100 points. And it's especially significant because look what happened last week. Just last week, we saw the major indices hitting all time highs. And it just took 10 trading sessions for the Dow to go from an all time high to a correction, which happened today, which is a 10 percent fall from a recent high. Even when stocks were reaching those lofty highs, there was a lot of uh, concern that traders would kind of be in for a rude awakening because there was a lot of complacency about the coronavirus. Well, now that rude awakening has come because, Jake, more than a trillion dollars in stock market value has literally been wiped out. Jake. And Allison, Goldman Sachs is warning American companies uh, will likely generate no earnings in 2020. That is uh, what Goldman Sachs has reported today, saying that uh, U.S. companies are expected to report no profit gains for the year. Some are saying that's a little inflammatory, but it's basing its very downgraded forecasts on uh, the impact of the coronavirus being more widespread than first expected. It's also a reflection of a decline in Chinese economic activity, a decline in lower demand in U.S. exports, and supply chain disruptions for U.S. companies, which we are hearing from today from Microsoft, Anheuser-Busch, and of course we've heard from from Apple. Now there is one bright spot. Uh, We did see shares of 3M rise today. Looks like investors are bullish on masks. Allison, um, obviously people invest generally for decades, not for weeks or months. Will Americans feel this in their wallets at some point? And if so, when? I mean, that is really hard to say. Um, You know, it it depends, of course, on what happens with the coronavirus. I think what you're going to see sooner and what we are seeing now is companies feeling that hit. Um, I just mentioned Microsoft and Apple and uh, Anheuser-Busch. They're having huge supply disruptions, meaning they get their products or parts of their products from China. They can't even get those products either made or sent back 
here to put the products together. So you're seeing uh, companies really get hit already and sending out warnings uh, before their uh, before their earnings come out. Jake. All right, Alison Kozak with the New York Stock Exchange. Thank you so much for that. Uh, the market plunge is happening amid mounting fears that it is only a matter of time before the virus spreads thoroughly throughout the United States. There are now at least 60 cases confirmed. The latest is a Californian who contracted the virus without having traveled abroad and without, without having come into contact with a known patient. It's what health experts call a community spread. Uh, California's Governor Gavin Newsom said moments ago that 8,400 people in the state of California are currently being monitored for the virus. President Trump, meanwhile, is trying to project confidence and control. He's downplaying the risk of infection. He's insisting it is not necessarily inevitable that the virus will spread throughout the United States. That rosy scenario seemed to contradict the nation's own health experts, which in turn prompted some criticism that the Trump administration was offering mixed messages to the nation. Also facing some criticism today, the man appointed to helm the government's response, Vice President Mike Pence, whose history on matters ranging from cigarettes to an HIV crisis in Indiana, is prompting questions from Democrats about his allegiance to science. Democrats calling today for Pence to be replaced. We also have this breaking news. Top health officials have been instructed not to give interviews without previously getting the sign-off from the White House. As CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports. Vice President Pence is wasting no time as the new face of the administration's coronavirus response team. As the president said yesterday, we're ready. Despite initially denying there would be a shakeup in the leadership, President Trump tapped Pence after growing frustrated with his Health and Human Services Secretary, Alex Azar, who denies he's being pushed aside. Not in the least. I'm, I, I, when, the, when, when this was mentioned to me, I, said, I was delighted. Sources say Azar came close to being pushed out of the task force altogether after Trump grew irritated while watching news coverage that questioned whether his administration was prepared. Trump decided Wednesday to hold a press conference and put a new face in charge. I'm still chairman of the task force. Pence's new role may come with political risk. Trump cited his experience as governor of Indiana as proof he's qualified for the job. Anybody that knows anything about health care, they look at the Indiana model and it's been a very great success. But Pence's record from that time is coming under renewed scrutiny. He was blamed in 2015 for delaying a clean needle exchange program, making a severe HIV outbreak in the state worse, after initially arguing it would encourage further drug use. Because of that, some critics say he's not the right figure to lead the response to a health crisis, which Speaker Pelosi says she raised directly with him today. We have always had a very candid relationship, and I expressed to him the concern that I had of his being in this position. Pence later responded by insisting the White House will work with both parties. This is not the time for partisanship. Today, Pence also enlisted Dr. Deborah Burks, the director of the U.S. effort to fight AIDS and HIV, to help coordinate the government's response. But as the White House adds more medical experts to its team, the president has continued to contradict his own officials. We do expect more cases. Um, and this is a good time to prepare. I don't think it's inevitable. For his part, Pence seems to be hoping to put an end to the mixed messages. Sources tell CNN his office will now take the lead on public statements and appearances when it comes to coronavirus. And health officials must clear them through his office. 
Now, Jake, Pence chaired a meeting at Health and Human Services this afternoon, and he was asked during that by reporters to clarify who is leading the task force. He said he's leading it, but that Alex Azar, the HHS secretary, is still the chairman of the task force. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House, thanks so much. Joining me now is Ron Klain. He served as the Ebola czar under President Obama. Uh, Ron, first of all, how significant is the fact that we have this first case that's community spread? In other words, the person did not get it while traveling abroad and is not a physician or a nurse or whatever who got it from a patient, got it from some unknown yeah. origin in the United States. Well, I mean, the facts are still unclear, but if it is as it seems, it's very significant, Jake. And it points to the fact that we may not have found many cases of coronavirus in the U.S. because we haven't looked. This person was in the hospital infectious for a week. Doctors were saying, should we test him? The CDC said, no, you don't need to test him. So in Korea, for example, they've tested 35,000 people for the virus. Here we've tested fewer than 500 people for the virus. So you're not going to find it if you don't look for it. As you heard in the piece, uh, the White House now trying to control the public message, saying that people like Dr. Anthony Fauci or, or Dr. Shukat or others can't give interviews without getting sign-off from the White House first. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember that being how you did it when you were the Ebola czar. I remember that we could just go right to NIH or CDC and ask for interviews, and they would just say yes and do interviews. Well, well even more than that, absolutely, Jake, and even more than that, I didn't do interviews. We had Dr. Fauci and Dr. Shukat and other experts, Dr. Frieden back then at CDC, do the interviews because they are the experts. They are the ones who should be communicating to the public. Trump has it exactly backwards. Instead of silencing the experts and having more spin from the White House, we had to silence the spin from the White House and hear from the experts. Tony Fauci is a national treasure. This person got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Bush in 2008, and he saved more lives even since then. The idea that the American people wouldn't hear from him is an outrage and a public health risk. So there are now 60 confirmed cases in the U.S. Health officials warn this could spread uh, e even further. In fact, they just expect that yeah, it will. Absolutely. That's the assumption. In yeah. fact, we've heard people say this is eventually just going to take root in the U.S. and just be like the other flu, the, the common influenza yeah. that's out there. You said anyone who says we know how many cases of the virus we have in America is not being straight with the American people. What do you mean by that? Well, that's what I said to refer to before, Jake. We haven't really tested extensively. We don't know how widespread it is. And if you don't test, you're not going to find it. I think what's clear is however many cases there are here now, there are going to be more. The Trump strategy so far has rested on what they call containment, try to slow the flow of people into the country with the virus. That strategy only makes sense if you use the time it buys to step up preparations. And what concerns me most is we're on a ticking clock here, and are we seeing really the preparations being made at hospitals to, to disseminate testing kits, to get ready for an influx of patients? The clock is ticking. We need to step up the effort. Should there be more travel restrictions put in place by the Trump administration, do you think? Uh, I don't really think those are going to help. I think they uh, slow down the pace. But look, China is the largest country in the world. We have thousands of Americans there. They're going back and forth every day. We rely on goods from China. They're brought here on boats with Chinese crews, planes with Chinese crews. If we try to cut all that off, our hospitals would shut down in a matter of days. Uh, most of the drugs in our hospitals, many of the drugs in our hospitals come from China. Supplies come from China. So it's inevitable that people are going to go back and forth. We need to focus on getting ready for the inevitable, not just hoping it won't happen here. Uh, when you were appointed uh, to the uh, Ebola czar position by President Obama, then-citizen uh, Donald Trump uh, tweeted, quote, Obama just appointed an Ebola czar with zero experience in the medical area and zero experience in infectious disease control, all caps. A total joke! Um, 
Uh, Vice President Pence doesn't have uh, the same, you know, doesn't have medical experience or infectious disease experience. He was hammered last night uh, by Senator Elizabeth Warren at a CNN town hall. Take a listen. This vice president has dealt with a public health emergency before in Indiana. And what was his approach? It was to put politics over science and let a serious virus expand in his state and cost people lives. He is not the person who should be in charge. It's obviously a thankless uh, job, whether it's you or Vice President Pence. uh, But what do you make of her argument and what did you make of the criticism from then-Citizen Trump about your appointment? Well, I'll come back to Trump in a second. What I'd say is the problem isn't that Mike Pence doesn't have public health experience. It's that he does, and it's bad. His reaction to the HIV epidemic in Scott County, Indiana, one of the highest per capita outbreaks of HIV in our country, was just all wrong. And his comments that smoking doesn't cause cancer is also all wrong. So, look, the fundamental issue here is you, you need someone to run these responses who know how to make the government work. But they have to be willing to listen to the scientists, the doctors, the experts. When President Obama picked me, he said, I'm picking you because you aren't a doctor. You won't get in the way of the medical advice. We have the best doctors in the world working in the government if we listen to them. And so the question for Vice President Pence is, given his history of rejecting science, of rejecting medical expertise, will he do this differently now? And, and do you want to respond to then-Citizen Trump? Or? Well, what, what then-Citizen Trump said about the Ebola response and President Trump, Obama's handling of it was wrong in almost every respect. He said we shouldn't have brought back patients who were sick. He said we shouldn't have uh, taken the steps we did. That response, uh, Tom Frieden called it one of President Obama's greatest foreign policy successes. We helped save thousands, perhaps even tens of thousands of lives in Africa and prevented the spread here in the United States. I think President Obama should be very proud of that response. I'm proud of my work on it. Ron Klain, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jake. Coming up, the latest coronavirus case in the U.S. is not like any of the others so far. Why doctors say it is so concerning. Plus, a new report says Senator Bernie Sanders could be in for a messy showdown this summer if he does not clinch the race before the convention. Stay with us. And we're back with our health lead. California Governor Gavin Newsom today announcing that his state is monitoring at least 8,400 people for coronavirus and confirming the first case of what's called community spread coronavirus, meaning the person is thought to have caught it from someone else here in the United States, not from a patient. As one expert put it, that pretty much means every American is at risk. And as CNN's Nick Watt reports now, communities throughout the nation are now preparing for what's next. This new California case could be a turning point. We're told this woman has not traveled overseas recently or been in contact with anyone who is known to have the virus. That suggests that the virus is out there in the community, and that means pretty much that everybody's at risk. It's possible this could be an instance of community spread, the CDC says, which would be the first time this has happened in the United States. Absolutely. People that have been in contact with this individual have the right to know. And in real time, they are being interviewed. Uh, Points of contact, family members uh, are being interviewed. 8,400 people in the state who have returned from overseas are right now being monitored. Facebook just cancelled its large F8 conference scheduled to take place in San Jose in early May out of concern over the virus. Orange County just joined San Francisco, Santa Clara and San Diego, declaring a state of emergency, freeing up funds just in case. Even states with no confirmed cases getting ready. We are very active ourselves in what we're doing. 
New York's governor approved $40 million for staff and equipment if needed. Florida has assembled an emergency management team. This is an emerging and rapidly evolving situation. Hawaiian Airlines has cancelled all flights to and from South Korea. This virus could pose some major challenges. It appears to be easily transmissible. Of the 3,711 people aboard the Diamond Princess, at least 705 caught it. It's novel, it's new, so very few of us have immunity from past exposure. It can be mild, even asymptomatic, so infected people can be walking around unknowingly spreading it. The FDA has now simplified the test and more labs should now be able to test for this virus. The next step is working with the private sector and also CDC to develop a basically a bedside diagnostic. And testing, Jake, is going to be absolutely crucial in the fight against this virus. And this morning, the governor of California said that the number of test kits that have been available in the state, simply inadequate. More are now on their way and fast. Also under review will be who gets that test sparked, we're told, by that recent case in California. That woman was admitted to the hospital last Wednesday, didn't get tested until Sunday. So those requirements now under review. Jake. All right, Nick Watt, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Let's talk about all this. Um, let me start with you, Jane, because President Trump, uh, his, he's openly contradicting the CDC when he says he does not think an outbreak in the U.S. is inevitable. The medical professionals say pretty much they think it is inevitable. Uh, we just learned, of course, that uh, from now on, uh, the senior health officials in the administration have to uh, have the White House sign off on their appearances and interviews. Um, what are we all what are we to make of all this? Well, it, what the government should be doing is focusing on mitigation. And I think that the you know, coronavirus is here and it is particularly risky because it's a virus that can display very few symptoms, which means that people who have it can be ambulatory, walking around, interacting with people. And that's something, you know, public health responses are often left to state and local entities. And so for Trump to be so focused on saying that it's not going to happen here instead of thinking, what if it does and when it does, I think is doing us all a real disservice, especially because his main focus has been on the stock market. And the, the issue has been that the more he attempts to lift confidence in the stock market, that causes the stock market to panic more about what we don't do and don't know. Yeah, and he compared it to the flu uh, yesterday. Um, but when he did so, he kind of revealed how little he knows about the flu, even in, as he enters the fourth year of his presidency. I mean, I think we all know that tens of thousands of Americans die every flu season. They're often uh, older, sick people, you know, already sick. Uh, but here's what he had to say. The flu in our country kills from 25,000 people to 69,000 people a year. That was shocking to me. Think of that, 25,000 to 69,000. Over the last 10 years, we've lost 360,000. These are people that have died from the flu, from what we call the flu. Hey, did you get your flu shot? And uh, that's something. Yeah, I guess I'm of two minds about this. The good news is, is that a highly germaphobic president who wants to <laughs> shut down the border, he has a perfect excuse to enact really draconian policies right now. He's not going there. And I think it's because of the reason Jane pointed out, he's scared of scaring the markets. So then you have to ask, is this a president that would suppress bad information from becoming public because he's afraid of the way it would blow back on him. 
The answer is yes, and we can tell from the response of the markets. And one thing that he has going for them, going for him, is that he does not have a Donald Trump person, like person, the way that Barack Obama did during the Ebola crisis. Here's one uh, video he posted uh, leading up to the 2014 midterms. We have a tremendous problem in New York because President Obama would not stop the flights. So now we've got Ebola. He should be ashamed. The good news is for President Trump, he does not have a Donald Trump doing that sort of thing. No, he doesn't. And there was a political price that Democrats paid for that. I, I remember uh, in that midterm going down to Georgia, a volunteer for my friend Michelle Nunn, who was yeah, running the for Democrats Senate. lost nine Senate seats and 13 House seats. Yes, right and that, that came right at the end. And people like Trump were stoking this nonsense. And, and it was a, a lot of hate. Uh, that's a good thing for our country, too, not just for Trump. But I do wonder, this is maybe me being a bit of a conspiracy theory. Why put Mike Pence in charge? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a background, but that's okay. He's, a, he's an able guy. I think he's setting him up to fail so he can bounce him off the ticket and put somebody else on there. That's a it's plausible. It is. I'm well, just, I'm just does, rolling that out there, there, Jake. Just no, to, just on that point, this is a guy who purged NATO, national security right. officials who presented him with news he didn't want to hear. President he's Trump not going right. to bit someone in that inner circle who will give him bad news. And well, I think and that's why you get passed. He, he did scale back on the experts in the government, too. And on, 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 on pandemics. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the criticism of, of, of Vice President Pence? A lot of people pointing out that in the past he said there was no link between cigarettes and deaths, uh, the way he handled the HIV crisis uh, in Indiana when he was governor. There is a lot that Democrats are criticizing. Yeah, and the fact that he is a political figure that is running for re-election and has every uh, incentive to side with the president, to defend the president. We even saw him yesterday talking about how much the president has done and how the president's response has been so positive and so great, even though... Even the other uh, health officials on the stage were saying, we need to prepare. We didn't hear much about that from Vice President Pence. So there is a sense that maybe Pence is going to be more focused on defending President Trump and not giving the American people the information they they need to know. He was at CPAC earlier today talking about how great the president has done over the last three years and how we need another four more years of the president, not spending as much time focusing on this virus and protecting the American people. Jane, do you view it the same way uh, as Amanda does in terms of valuing super loyalty as opposed to expertise in the intelligence community uh, to view Pence uh, helming this effort. I think that is a risk, but I also want to note that there historically presidents have been bad at dealing with pandemics. This happened during the Spanish flu after the the World War One. This happened with the HIV AIDS crisis of the 1980s. And so I think that what concerns me most is that a pandemic is almost the perfect storm of bad information for a president who wants to get reelected. Mm-hmm. OK, well, thank you for scaring me <laughs> even further, Jane. I appreciate it. Stick around, everyone. We have a lot more to talk about. Senator Bernie Sanders says, don't tell me I can't beat Trump. The man who built President Obama's White House is not so sure Sanders is right. He's here to tell me why next. Very confident Senator Bernie Sanders this afternoon in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, pushing back on Democrats who argue he is too far to the left to win in November. Let's bring in one of those Democrats, Rahm Emanuel, former mayor of Chicago, President Obama's first White House chief of staff. He's out with a new book. It's called The Nation City, Why Mayors Are Now Running 
the world. Thanks so much for being here. Good to Thanks, see you again, Mr. Thank Mayor. Um, so I'll talk about the book in a sec, but first, <laughs> I, I want to ask you about... Bernie's Enough about the book. Let's talk about everything <laughs> no, no, else. No, no, I, got, I got some book questions. I got some book questions. But I, I, I do want to ask you about the, the primaries are going on right yeah. now. It's yeah. kind of a big deal. You don't think Sanders can beat Trump. Um, now, the argument that he makes is... He gets out votes. He has supporters. He has crowds like you don't see. He had this huge crowd in yes. Winston-Salem today, packed rallies. He's won Nevada, he won New Hampshire, won the popular vote in Iowa. I mean, isn't he showing that maybe he can beat Trump? Yeah, I say a couple things I would say. Since Bill Clinton's first election in 92 all the way through 2019, the same strategy is applied in both President Clinton's elections, both President Obama's elections, 2006 midterms, where we had a big national win in 2018 mid- midterms, and also what happened in 2019. And it's what I call metropolitan majority, suburban, urban coalitions that uh, work on health care, education, environmental control, all those type of issues that really create a national governing majority and a political majority. This would basically take that entire strategy and throw it out the window mm-hmm. and say that what we're going to see now is a turnout of young voters that have never been shown since the voting age has been reduced to 2018, and a return of working-class, non-college-educated voters to us that we haven't seen since 1964. That is a, with not only the presidency, Congress, Senate, governorships, state houses, that is a major risk. Now, one other thing. 2018, major election for the Democrats, one of the biggest since Watergate. Yeah. Bernie's PAC, our revolution, endorsed 22 candidates, went 0 for 22. Not even by fluke did one happen. In the midterm elections, when, like I did in 2006, a couple elections you won that you had nowhere on the radar. He went, his pack went zero for 22. That tells you, in 2018, when Democrats are having this massive national win, gubernatorial races, congressional races, state houses, that it didn't work. Number three, yeah. the turnout model that he's looking at has not materialized. One of the things I'm concerned about right now is that, well, viewership in the debates are up. Mm-hmm. 2018, big turnout. 2019, big turnout for Democrats. Participation in our primaries is not, is barely surpassing 2016. And that's a flashing yellow light. I am concerned. Now, it's only three. We'll see what Super Tuesday produces. But that's a concern. Speaker Pelosi downplayed concerns from Democrats such as yourself today. Uh, Take a listen. Whoever the nominee is of our party, we will wholeheartedly support. Uh, Our gospel is one of unity, unity, unity. Just to be clear, if Sanders is the Democratic nominee, you'll support him. You'll do whatever you can to yeah, help him. I mean, him. That's, that's, that's not a sense of calm, okay? That was a sense of, here's what we have to have as a strategy. Mm-hmm. So, look, again, take a look at England. You think Boris he's Johnson, Jeremy, Jeremy or, Corbyn? I, look, we have, in six, we don't have one model. We have tested this theory six times successfully. I still believe the country is center-left, but not left. I don't think there's 70 million people walking around saying, you know what, I didn't realize I'm a democratic socialist, but today I am a democratic socialist. So and your- so that to me is a major, major, too much at stake to take that big a gamble. In your book, mm-hmm. uh, The Nation City, Why Mayors Are Now Running the World, you make the argument uh, basically that, that Buttigieg or Bloomberg could pick up, and you talk mm-hmm. about both of them in the book, uh, that the kind of experience you need to be an executive mm-hmm. of a city, to run a city, is more relevant even than any other experience, potentially, do you think it's more relevant than being a senator or being a member of the House? Definitely. Since in the last, since World War II, only two senators made it, John Kennedy and Barack Obama. They were there in the Senate for an hour and a half. Yeah. And the most prominent office was governor. Well, let's take a look a step back. Right now in England, you have a former mayor of London. First thing he does as, as uh, prime minister, 
is a transportation project, a very mayor-like position. Four governors ran this time, all got knocked out. The last time we had a mayor was Grover Cleveland. You had five mayors run this time. Mm. Three are standing. Bloomberg, Buttigieg, and Bernie was a mayor of uh, Burlington. And I do think what the uh, government and experience you bring, the basic services that people want to see, is exactly what mayors provide. And I do think, take one example, uh, Mayor Pete won Iowa, but for obvious reasons, didn't get the normal bounce. Right. Debate performance was okay. He comes within a point and a half of uh, uh, Senator Sanders. Why? I think that ad by Biden backfired. You know, all of a sudden Biden's out there. I did this. Making fun of him as a mayor. It's a cobblestone streetlights. And people are like, well, that's government. We can build. That's, you know, the government we can oh, you believe. you thought it helped Pete? Yeah, without a doubt. And that's I think funny. here's the other thing. People's confidence in local government, 75 percent. People's confidence in the national government, 22 percent. And what's going on in this disease is not giving them a lot of reassurance right now. The book is The Nation City, Why Mayors Are Now Running the World. Mayor Rahm Emanuel, thanks so much for being here. We thanks, appreciate Jack. it. It's good to see you, man. Thanks. Nice to see you. Delegate drama, new hints that Democrats could be dealing with a contested convention in the race for the nomination. Stay with us. Just two days to go until the South Carolina primary, but it's Super Tuesday, five days away, which could end various presidential campaigns and establish a clear delegate leader. That's because 14 states will get to have their stay that day, their say that day, including the most populous states in the country, Texas and California. And it's not just about who wins the most votes, of course. The states will also award delegates based on who wins congressional districts. A candidate needs 1,991 delegates to become the Democratic nominee. And more than 1,300 delegates will be up for grabs on Tuesday. Let's talk about this. Uh, candidates clearly recognizing the importance of Super Tuesday. Sanders is in Virginia today. Bloomberg is in Texas. Klobuchar is in North Carolina. But it's, I think it's safe to say that some of these campaigns are going to end uh, on Not-So-Super Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) I think that should catch on. Yeah, I think that for several of these candidates, it's been interesting to watch this race and think about what the strategy is for so many of these candidates. And, you know, I cover conservative politics and there, you know, there is a challenger to Donald Trump, Bill Weld, former Massachusetts governor, and his entire campaign has been about picking up delegates for Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday is a demarcation point for a reason, and you're going to see a, a couple of candidates drop out after that point. And it'll be interesting to see who it is. And uh, Bloomberg's campaign, Tulu, has just released a new information about his health, specifically about his heart. He had a stent put in uh, several decades ago, and he did that calling on Bernie Sanders to do the same. Sanders, of course, has been criticized for not releasing more details about his health after his heart attack last fall, and his campaign tried to deflect some of that criticism by questioning Bloomberg's uh, health. Um, do you think that this issue is for Sanders is essentially over because he's just said, I've released the same as everybody else, that's it? Or are we going to continue to hear more about him, given the fact that he had a heart attack heart attack last fall? I think other candidates will continue to make this argument against him. He has made it pretty clear that he's not going to release anything more than what he's already released. He's taken a very Trumpian tactic where President Trump, on his tax returns, on his health, health record, said, this is what I'm putting out. Or in the case of the tax returns, I'm not putting anything out and just moved on. And the news cycle moved on. And I think Bernie Sanders is making that calculation. But I do think that Bloomberg and other candidates that want to draw a contrast between themselves and with uh, Bernie Sanders are going to be uh, using various things to try to attack him. And his health, the fact that he had a heart attack just three months ago, is one of the things that they can bring up. And I don't expect that to end. I do expect some of these candidates to drop out. So it may be less of an issue if Bloomberg is not in the race a week from now. 
But I do think that Bernie Sanders is right now being the leader is going to be someone who everyone is trying to draw a contrast with and everything is fair game. I've just got to say, this is the dumbest way to try to draw a contrast with Bernie Sanders. You want to go after Bernie Sanders, you go after him on electability. But just like Orhan was saying, he has not produced the youth turnout that he promises will deliver a Democrat's victory in 2020. You go after him on the fact that he coddles communist authoritarians. You go after him on the fact that he wants to raise so many taxes, he probably couldn't even list them in a one-hour debate. I mean, this is silly that you're going after him the health reasons. Everyone knows that he has a heart attack. But Michael Bloomberg, listen, I'm a Republican that wants to see a moderate Democrat get the nomination. The Democrats have a billionaire problem. Michael Bloomberg has not competed Yet he is drawing away support from someone who probably could win, like a Biden, like a Buttigieg. Why? Because he's on a billionaire quest to win the presidency on the easiest setting. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I'm appalled for you, but, you know, I'm not a Democrat. (laughs) One of the things that's going on is that it does, I think it's a a question. And I I realize throughout my entire adult life, we keep talking about, oh, there's going to be a brokered convention. But it does seem like there really actually might be a brokered convention. And and in fact, listen to Elizabeth Warren, because right now Bernie Sanders is saying... uh, Whoever has a plurality of delegates, whoever leads in delegates, even if it's not 1,991, should get the nomination. Uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, made it clear that that's not exactly her position. And also, she said it wasn't his four years ago. Take a listen. The way I see this is you write the rules before you know where everybody stands, and then you stick with those rules. Everybody got in the race thinking that was the set of rules. I don't see how come you get to change it just because he now thinks there's an advantage to him for doing that. On the other hand, I can't imagine if Bernie Sanders goes in there with the most delegates. I can't even imagine the rebellion among his supporters if he doesn't get the nomination. There would be. But his supporters helped write those rules. Senator Warren is right. And I hear in that law professor the echoes of John Rawls' theory of justice, which I studied in law school, which is you draw the rules not knowing how you're going to end up. And it is true when he when Hillary had the plurality. He was saying, no, no, plurality doesn't win. It's a majority rules, and it has to be, because you're going to have to stitch the party back together. And so you have to get a majority of the delegates. That may require getting superdelegates. Bernie was happy to go after them when he was running against Hillary. He's going to have to go after them this time if he is the plurality candidate. But the notion that you can change the rules or that somehow Democrats are going to let Bernie's more radical supporters intimidate them, Mm -hmm. I think is a huge mistake. But there's also every chance that he will win the delegates he needs to. And I want to get back quickly to the electability question, because I think electability is a concern that you're hearing from voters who aren't thinking about who they support. They're trying to think who the next person next to them supports. And I think that it's important for, one, vote for who you want to, to, but also after 2016, how do we know who's electable anymore? Nobody knows nothing, as uh, the great William Golden once said. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. Joe Biden claims South Carolina is his firewall. We're going to talk to some of the voters he's relying on and some of the voters he still needs to convince. Stay with us. For the work they do. My son bows my soul. And, uh, and what I found was I had to find purpose. He asked me when he was dying, promise me, Dad, promise me you'll stay engaged. He knew I'd take care of the family, but he worried what I would do is I would pull back and go into a shell and not do all the things I've done before. It took a long time for me to get to the point to realize that that purpose is the thing that would save me. And it has. One of the most moving moments of 2020 so far, former Vice President Joe Biden getting personal about his grief 
and his motivation during CNN's town hall last night. Biden, who has called South Carolina his firewall, is making his final push for votes ahead of Saturday's primary. And as CNN's Arlette Science reports, with a less than stellar showing in the previous three states, South Carolina may be the place that Biden gets some much needed momentum. After three straight losses, Joe Biden is now banking on a state he's called his firewall. Are you going to win? Yes. All right. Because South Carolina is the trajectory to winning the Democratic nomination. The former vice president betting his longtime ties to South Carolina and its African-American community will pay off. A new Monmouth University poll shows Biden with a double-digit lead over his rivals here, with the backing of 45 percent of black voters, who made up a majority of the Democratic primary electorate in 2016. He understands people. He's he dealt with death. He's dealt with single parenting. You know, he, he, he really feels people, and especially what we as black people feels at times. <laughs> Days before the primary, Biden picking up a key endorsement from Congressman Jim Clyburn, who says the former vice president needs to win by a substantial margin. One point may be a win, but I don't think it's the (laughs) propelling that we need. Uh, I want to see a much bigger victory to that. The 77-year-old Biden leaning heavily into his service alongside the nation's first black president. I was incredibly proud to serve with Barack Obama. Incredibly proud to be his friend. For some undecided voters, that is a huge plus. A lot of people associate him with Obama, Mm -hmm. and I think that they believe that he still believes in some of the things that Obama fought for and believed in. James McLeod is deciding between Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. He says older voters may feel safe with Biden, but young voters want a closer look. We don't know Joe from a can of paint, so it's not safe for us. We're walking into this just different. You know, it's just 100 percent different. Biden's supporters not taking his lead here for granted. Norm Dickerson has knocked on about 400 doors for Biden. Rain or shine. I'm going to do all I can because it is so important right now. Now, after South Carolina, the contest quickly shifts to Super Tuesday, and Biden will be hitting five of those states, including uh, including Texas and California. But ultimately, he is hoping for a win here in South Carolina to propel him into Super Tuesday and beyond. Jake. All right. Arlette Signs in the Palmetto State. Thanks so much. Breaking right now, new reports of a whistleblower claiming that the Trump administration sent health workers to China with the wrong gear. We'll have more on that breaking story right after this. Breaking news for you now. A whistleblower has come forward alleging that the Trump administration sent health workers to two California air bases to process Americans who had been evacuated from coronavirus hotspots without proper training or appropriate protective gear for those health workers. This, according to The Washington Post and The New York Times, a lawyer for the whistleblower tells CNN, quote, we are hopeful that Congress and the Office of Special Counsel will investigate this case in a timely and comprehensive manner. This matter concerns health and human services response to the coronavirus and its failure to protect its employees and potentially the public, unquote. CNN has reached out to the Department of Health and Human Services for comment. A State Department official just denied the report while testifying on Capitol Hill. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead, CNN. 
Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.